0: Walters Sports Bar is excited to welcome Nationals fans back to the ballpark this spring, located directly across the street from Nationals Park. Walters is the preeminent sports bar in Navy Yard, boasting over 35 televisions, both indoors and out. Walters is a great location to catch the Nats all season long. Walters encourages all fans to check out coronavirus.dc.gov to get up-to-date information on current dining restrictions. Go Nats!
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate need to hire you need indeed the set of the one-two fastball swing and a miss he struck him out an elevated fastball at the letters and brand hand with his first save in a nationals
0: uniform the five-game losing streak for the nationals is over and a curly w in the books in st louis Welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, April 13th, 2021, along with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. And finally, we have a Nationals victory to talk about once again. Five-game losing streak over. The lineup looked as it was supposed to look. The bullpen set up as it was supposed to set up. Eric Fetty gave the Nationals a halfway decent outing. And the end result is the Nats improving to 2-5, and a 5-2 victory at the St. Louis Cardinals. You see, Mark, people were worried. People were concerned. Nationals, for at least one night, calm down, Nats Nation.
2: It's almost as if, Al, adding three regulars to your lineup makes a difference. Who would have thought that, that it would actually make a difference? You know, it does, believe it or not. Although it took a few innings before it happened. Maybe people were a little nervous the first four or five innings of the game, but eventually they got it. And you know, look, I said all along, we can't really evaluate them till we see their real team. We saw their real team on Monday night, and there was a lot to like about what we saw.
0: You can always contact the Nats Chat Podcast at Nats underscore chat on Twitter. You can email us NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We got a very nice email from Lucas Schoolfield the other day. And Lucas ended the email by saying, Would you mind discussing what there is to be optimistic about this season? I know Lucas. It's been a lot of negativity over these last few installments of the Nats Chat Podcast because of what had been going down. Well, I think Lucas and many others will be pleased with uh, the conversation here on this episode because the Nats did a lot of things well in this 5-2 victory at the Cardinals on Monday night. And I guess, Mark, let's start with the offense. Let's start with the lineup. So more good news when it comes to the COVID-19 front for the Nationals on Monday afternoon. They reinstate three more players from the injured list who've been out due to the COVID-19 situation. Josh Bell, Josh Harrison, Kyle Schwarber, all back with the Nats. So only John Lester now is still technically out, but you know even he's essentially back. He just needs to build his arm up at this point. So Bell and Schwerber and Harrison are out there, and especially Bell and Schwerber, and it took a while, that's true. But those guys ended up contributing big time to an offense that, not so coincidentally, uh, had some life to it once again.
2: So it did take a while, and uh, their first... Two at-bats, all three of them, they were combined 0 for 6. And uh, Bell hit into a double play and then struck out the next time up. And I, I asked Schwarber after the game, were you a little antsy <laughs> the first time up? He said, oh, yeah. And it's funny because he was even expecting them to throw him a first-pitch curveball, figuring he'd be antsy, and it still kind of caught him by surprise. He said he just had to slow things down. But y- you knew you know, once they got the nerves out of the way, they'd probably be all right. And what was impressive You know, we think of Josh Bell as a slugger. You know what he did in this game? He drew two walks, and he took—the first one was on a tough 3-2 pitch that he took for ball four, and that set the stage for Schwarber behind him. Schwarber rips a double to right center, drives in what would prove to be the the go-ahead run, singled again the next time up after Bell walked. And then here's the guy who I think benefits the most from it all. And that's Starlin Castro, who, instead of being the one guy that you have to ask to drive in all the runs, is now the one hitting behind all of them, came up with runners in scoring position twice, and delivered, sacrifice fly, and then the RBI single. I think that makes a big difference. I think that puts him in a spot where he needs to be and where he's you know best suited to be. There's just so much more depth to the lineup now, and you can see what a real actual one through eight lineup is capable of doing and and they did it in this game
0: there's no doubt starling castro as a number six batter i mean you can do a lot worse than that you know castro as a number six batter is just fine the great rbi single to left field on a one-two pitch in that top of the eighth inning you mentioned what josh bell did as a batter getting on base three times single and a couple of walks and uh the first of those walks come with him having been down to the count at one point one two that was that six pitch walk that he drew in that Nationals two run six inning and then Schwarber. and, you know, look, Schwarber. we know the deal with him and it's not unlike with Bell. Like He's an all bat player. That's why he's at the major league level. But the guy can hit. And, and you know, he looks the part. He acted the part two of five uh, with a double and a single on Monday night. RBI double to right center in that Nationals two run six first pitch single in that Nats' one-run eighth. Now, he did get victimized by, I guess, Bob Sendley. Do we put that one on Sendley Henley there? Uh, Schwarber getting thrown out at home, trying to tag up on a Ryan Zimmerman pinch flyout to the center fielder, Dylan Carson, in shallow center field. And I tell you, this this really was painful because here you had the Nats in that eighth inning they end up scoring just one run despite beginning the inning with a walk and three singles. I mean, that that profile is like a three, four, five run inning. Maybe who knows? You end up just getting the one. What was Bob Sendley Henley thinking they're <laughs> sending Schwarber, who's not exactly peak Vince Coleman in terms of speed on the tag up?
2: I know we're going to be doing mostly positive stuff on this podcast, but that doesn't mean that they played a perfect game. And There were a few glaring mistakes in there, and that was high on the list because you're right. They had the chance for the knockout blow there and could have made the ninth inning much better. Easier than it turned out to be. If they're up, you know, seven to two or eight to two instead of five to two, I think because they were leading, that probably led to the decision to be a little bit more aggressive. You could take that chance there, but I mean, I didn't think it was worth it. And it's not even just that it was Schwarber. I don't know that Trey Turner scores on that play either. You know, I mean, it was a good throw, but I don't think it had to be a perfect throw. It was a shallow fly ball. You still have Robles coming up behind all of that if you hold him, so you'd still have Robles up with two outs and the bases loaded. I didn't think that was. You know anything to try to avoid, so uh, a little over aggressiveness there. They also had the squeeze bunt with Schwarber on third base. Somebody thinks Schwarber can run. I don't know who it is. Somebody thinks he can run because they tried to squeeze with him on third base, and to his credit, he picked it up immediately and got back to third base and avoided getting doubled up. But that was a questionable call as well. So you know, not a perfect night for them as a team, but they did do a lot of things right. And I was just going to say the other thing I, I just noticed looking at my scorecard. They scored five runs despite Trey Turner going 0 for 5. Now, think about how many times last year it was Turner and Soto, and if they didn't get it from those two, they weren't winning the game. Well, here they had a good offensive night despite getting nothing from Trey Turner.
0: It's not unlike, for those listening who are Capitals fans, the Caps won 8-1 at Boston on Sunday night without Alex Ovechkin scoring a goal. Like, you know, you hear eight goals for the Caps. Ovi must have had a hat trick or something. It's like, no, he didn't even score, and the Caps still had eight goals. That's the beauty of when you have some depth. Yeah, Turner 0-5 with a couple of strikeouts. The guy who did the best in the lineup, though, was not one of the newcomers. It was, in fact, Juan Soto. It was great to see him have the game that he ended up having. Three singles the walk and reaching base four times. A one-out first pitch RBI single to right, top of the first. Two-out five-pitch walk, top of the third. Lead-off single in that match, two-run six. And then a two-out single in the top of the ninth. So great to see that. And you mentioned Robles, and, you know, he only went one of five and it did strike out three times, but the one was so great. That first pitch leadoff opposite field triple to right center in the Nats one run first. Robles begins the game with the triple, then Soto plates him with the first pitch RBI single. Mark, you know, if you sat down, you may have missed this, but like five minutes into the ballgame, the Nats are up one nothing. Love seeing that.
2: And this is, you know, more evidence of as a leadoff hitter, you don't have to work the count. That's not always required of you. We've seen Ronald Acuna be great at swinging at the first pitch of the game and doing damage. And Robles has the ability to do that as well. Now, you don't chase. You don't go up there and say, I'm swinging no matter what. But if you get a first pitch fastball down the pipe, swing at it. Try to do some damage. And that's what he did with the triple. It set the tone for the whole evening. It shows you what he can do. He can do a lot of different things. And I know, again, he hasn't had a perfect start to the season. There have been some questionable, you know, base running and defensive plays. And maybe his approach at the plate hasn't been perfect every time. But he is contributing, and uh, he can do it in more than one way, and, and that was about as good a way as you can set a tone on the very first pitch.
0: Outstanding to see that, especially with all of the singles we had been seeing from the Nats. To get an extra base hit from the get-go was so encouraging on Monday night. You look deeper into the lineup. Jan Gomes was back at catcher, and Gomes had himself a couple of singles. Two leadoff singles, in fact. a first pitch leadoff single, top of the third leadoff single on an 0-2 pitch and the top of the fifth. And then, and this is, you know, a classic thing of when you get your regulars back, those who had been starting become reserves and all of a sudden you, you look like a much different ball club. But Andrew Stevenson, you know, should Andrew Stevenson be a starting left fielder? I don't know. That's probably debatable. But Andrew Stevenson off the bench, that looks pretty nice. And sure enough, pinch lead off Homer to right field and the top of the seventh to put the Nats up for two.
2: The domino effect of all this, it's dramatic. It's not just the guys you get back, but it's putting everyone else into the roles where they should be all along. Stevenson's been one of the best pinch hitters in baseball for a couple of years now. You know, okay, it's a small sample, but he keeps doing it. He keeps delivering in that role. He must have figured something out. And so now all of a sudden, what was a few days ago, Carter Keeboom was your best right handed bat off the bench and Yadiel Hernandez, is your best left handed bat off the bench. Well, on Monday night, it was Ryan Zimmerman and Andrew Stevenson. That's a big difference. And I know Zim wound up popping that up with the bases loaded and and turned into a double play. But if you can now, if you're David Martinez, you can pick your spots for those two late in the game. There are going to come times when they need those two to drive in a go-ahead run or, or tying run, something like that. Those are good quality options to have down there. And so for Stevenson to show that he can produce off the bench like that is big. I don't want to you know, sound like I'm overstating it, but there's a big difference when all of a sudden you have your real team. It's not just them. It's how it affects everyone else.
0: Yeah. I mean, they were a 4A club in some respects with the way this season started with some of the guys they were having to try to out there. That was not the case on Monday night. So Really nice to see it. It's one game, obviously, but the Nats needed this. And to see it, see the offense look like it's supposed to look like from the get-go, I thought was good, too. Like, there was no, you know, well, Bell and Schwerber, they got to kind of ease into things. Like, no, I mean, it took a while in the game, but by the end of the game, each guy had had a productive night.
2: Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at real estate Rachel.
0: Hey guys, Al Galdi here. So we've all had that dream, right? Tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than one shot to swing for the fences because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. That's right. New users get up to $1,000 back in site credit if your first bet doesn't win and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to Same Gay Parlay Insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back, inside credit each day. If your same gay parlay bet falls one leg short, this way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. There's a reason FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same gay parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. And sign up with the promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code CHAT.
1: 21 plus and present, in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk free bet. Refund issued as is non withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanDuel.com. Gambling problem, call 1 800 522 4700 in Colorado. 1 800 bets off in Iowa. 109 with it Indiana 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan 100 gambler New Jersey Pennsylvania, Illinois Virginia, Tennessee 1-800-889-9789. or in West Virginia visit www100 gamblernet We're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Fetty, two balls, two strikes, and working quickly into the wind and the pitch, swing and a miss, struck him out, a tailing
0: fastball up to 96 miles an hour. You could argue the most pleasantly surprising, pleasantly positive thing from this game was the outing the Nats got from Eric Fetty, the same Eric Fetty who got shellacked. In his season debut, that 7-6 lost Atlanta in game one of the doubleheader last Wednesday afternoon. Six runs, five earned, and an inning and two-thirds. That same Eric Fetty on Monday night, solid. And especially given kind of what he's been, you take this and you run with it. One run, four and two-thirds innings, five strikeouts, gives up just two hits, both of which were singles, issues just two walks. Fetty owned Nolan Arenado. I mean, looking at Arenado be made to look feeble by Fetty, that was something else to see. On Monday night. And Fetty even drew a walk in the game as a batter. The Nets, they couldn't draw any walks over the weekend at the <laughs> Dodgers. Fetty was getting on base in this game on Monday night. Very good game for him.
2: It was a huge, uplifting game for him. So against Goldschmidt, Arenado, Molina, and DeYoung. Those are four pretty accomplished major league hitters there. 0 for 8 with one, two, three, four strikeouts. From Eric Fetty, a guy who we talk about as the pitch-to-contact guy. He's not the strikeout guy. He had it all working today. He uh, he had a cutter. He had uh, his changeup. He had curveball working, two-seamer working. I mean, he really had a lot. And he said that after that first start, which was so bad, he had to try to remind himself about the good things he did in spring training and not focus on the negatives from the first start, just remind himself, hey, you can do this. You've done it before. Stay calm. Don't overreact to one bad start. And he went out and did exactly that. And, um, you know, who knows what's going to happen now for him. It'll depend, I guess, on whenever John Lester is ready to return. But whether it's another start for him or whether it's in the bullpen, he's going to go in with a lot more confidence because of this outing.
0: There's no doubt. And we know how this goes. Fetty will be called upon again to start this season. And that's just the way this, this stuff always plays out and to see him do this, I think you're so right. Like He needed this. He really. I can't imagine where his confidence is at, not just coming off what he looked like in the season debut, but just kind of where his career is at, having been a first-round pick, but Fetty in a perfect inning on Monday night, strikes out Arenado looking on five pitches for the third out. Fetty in a perfect second inning, strikes out the side, Yadier Molina, Dylan Carson, and Paul DeYoung. Fetty begins a perfect fourth inning. By striking out Arenado on three pitches. I mean, we're watching this. We're like, who is this guy? I mean, he looks so good for so much this game. The only two hits he give up, he gives up again, they're singles, and one was a bunt single by Matt Carpenter. So like it wasn't like he was giving up anything in the way of like hard contact. So great to see that from Eric Fetty. If he could just do that, like when they when they call upon him to start, four innings, four and two thirds, maybe five, one runner less, like a hundred percent you take that. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, given kind of what he's been and where he's at. So then we move to the Nationals bullpen, and four Nats relievers end up being called upon. Combined output of one run and four in the third innings on six strikeouts. Kyle Finnegan does give up the two-out solo homer to Yadier Molina to right center in the bottom of the six, and that was disappointing. Uh, You know, Molina is not a very good hitter. Even peak Molina was never like a great hitter, but he's an older guy now. He was actually down in the count at 1.12. Finnegan couldn't put him away. Molina goes deep. But then you get, I guess, Mark, what Davey sort of envisions as the Nats bullpen rolls or kind of a bullpen setup of Tanner Rainey in the seventh, Daniel Hudson in the eighth, Brad Hand in the ninth. Did we get a reveal on Monday night for what Davey's thinking with this bullpen deployment?
2: Yeah, I think so. At least when the matchups, you know, worked for that. And, and the key there was that the big right handed hitters. Goldschmidt, Arenado, and Molina were due up in the eighth. And so it's set up perfectly for Hudson to pitch that inning. Maybe it's a little different if, um, you know, if it's uh, Carpenter or Edmund batting in the eighth, maybe Brad Hand gets that inning instead. But no, it's set up exactly the way he wanted it to. And, you know, so l- let's look at these. Now, Rainey, you can tell the fastball's still not there. He's throwing 94 and he got himself into a jam. But what I liked is that he got out of it by using his slider. And it's so important for, for every pitcher, if you can't be successful with plan A, whatever your best pitch is, you better have some other way to get around it. And he did with a slider. You know, there's still a little bit of cause for concern there. Is the velocity going to come back over time? You, you hope it does. But at least he had the, uh, the moxie to get out of that with another pitch. So that was good. Hudson was throwing real hard, looked good. 96 mile an hour fastball, 97 on some of them. And then hand boy he deserved better than he got i mean he threw 26 pitches and it probably could have been over at about pitch you know 16 or 17 because the strike zone by Dan Bellino was, I don't even want to say it was tight. It was it was non-existent on some of those pitches. And it cost him, he got through it, he got through it on twenty-six pitches, but that may prevent him from pitching on Tuesday night as a result, because he had already thrown Sunday in LA. So that was a little unfortunate, but he got through it and showed that he wasn't gonna, you know, buckle once things got a little bit dicey there in the bottom of the ninth.
0: Yeah, see, that would really tick me off if I'm Davey, because you're getting your guys back, and now because Dan Bellino decided he wanted the game to last until four in the morning, Brad Hand throws 26 pitches, and you may not have him for game two, so you may be right back to being, not depleted, but being undermanned, from a bullpen standpoint anyway, come game two of this series. Like, that wasn't right. Brad Hand should have gotten out of that inning way sooner than he ended up getting out of it, and you know, I'm saying to myself, as the inning keeps being prolonged by this insane strike zone by Bellino... You know, if Hand gives it up here, because it looked dicey at at various points later, you're like, this would be terrible if somehow this ends up being one of these games that you lose because the bullpen blew it. But even then, you couldn't say the bullpen blew it. Bellino is the guy who ended up blowing it. So thankfully, Hand does end up throwing that scoreless ninth, gets the five pitch strikeout of Paul DeYoung, then gets another strikeout to end the game. It's good to see Hudson. You almost forget he's on the team. Uh, First uh, outing for him since game one against the Braves. It was nice to see that. And you're right, man. I mean, Rainey still doesn't look like the Rainey we saw last year. Boy, I tell you, if we get that, you do have the makings for maybe a a strong back end of the pen here, especially with Rainey in hand. You know, we'll see what Hudson ends up doing. But Rainey was so good last year. He just, he does not look like himself so far.
2: Yeah. And I also don't want to discount what Finnegan did. I know he gave up the homer in the sixth, but to get out of the fifth, he gets thrown into the jam with two on and two out and has to face a tough hitter in Tommy Edmund and kind of overwhelmed him, you know, uh, got him to ground out. That was big. I think they envisioned Finnegan as sort of the fireman who uh, comes in in those spots with the runners on base. He's a ground ball pitcher, you know, has shown an ability to do that. He was really good at keeping the ball in the park last year, although he's given up some homers in spring training and now to start this season. It's a guy we don't talk about as much, and, and certainly he's not, you know, one, two, or three on the bullpen depth chart. But he might be four or five, and there are going to be nights when they need him to come through with some big outs in the middle innings, and he did that in this game.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, is this the core four? Like, if we agree that it's Rainey, Hudson, Hand as the top three, is Finnegan number four?
2: Well, Suero's in there somewhere, right? I mean, he warmed up. He warmed up again tonight. The Suero meter, we're now at six either appearances or warmups in seven games. So you know that he's going to figure his way into there somewhere.
0: Suero is Davies' favorite. I don't know how you count him, though, as one of your top four relievers. I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see with a as the, uh, the season goes on. All right, so we can't do a, a Nash Chat podcast anymore without talking about COVID-19 because that's just the way that this season has gone so far. But we are getting out of this. The Nationals, like we said, reinstating three more guys on Monday in Bell, Harrison, and Schwarber. Lester not officially reinstated, but I know you guys got a a little bit of a map out for what the plan is with Lester. Do you have any sense on when John Lester might make his season debut?
2: Well, here's what he's going to do first before they can even decide that. I'm not sure the Nats really know when it's going to happen. So he's going to throw a simulated game in Fredericksburg, he's been cleared to do all that. So he hasn't been activated, but he has been cleared from all the quarantine and he's good to, to work out. So he's going to Fredericksburg, he'll throw a bullpen session on Tuesday, and then they'll set him up to pitch a simulated game there. I would imagine probably two days later would be likely. And then they'll decide, okay, is he ready to go or not? I, I don't know the answer. I'm not sure they know the answer. If he can get through, let's say, four innings in a simulated game, 70 pitches and feels fine, maybe you do call him up. But maybe Eric Fetty helped them delay that decision a little bit with the way he pitched tonight. Maybe he earned another start, and that way you can afford to give Lester some time. It's not the worst thing in the world. He didn't have a normal spring at all. You know, left camp for the the parathyroid surgery. That delayed him a little bit. You know, they tried to rush him back somewhat just in terms of getting his starts in. He was going to have to throw another time. Even before any of this happened, they were going to try to set up a simulated game for him so that he wouldn't start until the fifth or even sixth game of the season. So a veteran like that, you want to think about the long term. You want him to be fully prepared. I don't think they feel there's a need to rush him back. So maybe it will be another week or so before they do that. But if they get another start like this out of Fetty, then then that's fine. They can afford to do that.
0: Yeah, the Nats, for what it's worth, do not have another scheduled off day until two Thursdays from now. Nats have these remaining two games at the Cardinals, Tuesday night, Wednesday afternoon. Then comes a four-game series against Arizona at Nationals Park Thursday through Sunday. And then after that is a three-game series against the Cardinals at Nationals Park. So that's, you know, it's it's funny. Normally in April, you have a bunch of off days. I mean, the Nats, I guess, did because of the COVID-19 stuff. But in terms of the schedule, the schedule's pretty packed, you know, once you get beyond that opening series. The other thing with the COVID-19 stuff on Monday was Davey telling you guys in a pregame Zoom presser that, quote, the majority, end quote, of the Nats players and staff were vaccinated on Monday. Uh, They got the one dose Johnson and Johnson vaccine. And this is notable on multiple fronts, including what MLB and the MLB Players Association agreed to back in March. And that is that if you reach an 85% threshold of tier one individuals having been fully vaccinated, you get to relax some of these COVID-19 protocols. I guess David didn't list who got vaccinated, so we don't know if they're at 85%. But clearly, they must be getting close to that if they're not there already.
2: He didn't know specifically yet with the numbers to know if they would hit it. Now, something to keep in mind, that's not just 85% of your big league players. That includes staff members. And I believe it also includes the players in Fredericksburg. So that's a large pool of candidates, and my guess is that most of them down there have not had the opportunity yet to get it. So it could still be a little while till they hit that number, but he was very encouraged by it. And I thought it was interesting. He pointed out that it was a joint effort of MLB and the Cardinals to get this done. They did it when they were on the road and in a state, Missouri, that is offering it to more people right now than the District of Columbia is. Don't have to get into the reasons why that is, but... It was more available and more readily available for them on the road than it was at home, and they took advantage of that. And it sounds like the vast majority of them got it. We're never going to know for sure. They're, they're not going to be requiring anyone to say who got it or didn't, and that's fine. That's their, that's their choice. These are you know, essentially private health matters, but it does make a big difference if you hit the 85% threshold. Now, the only thing to be nervous about here <laughs> would be, because it's one dose, Johnson & Johnson, are there any side effects? in the next 24 hours. And potentially Tuesday night, does anyone not feel well enough to play or does it hit them during a game or something like that? Steven Strasburg is pitching the game. Again, I have no intel on this at all. If I was him, as tempting as it was to get the vaccine, I probably would delay it. (laughs) I would probably say I'm pitching tomorrow night and then I'll find another time to take the vaccine after that. Just not wanting to risk it.
0: So the Cardinals were, we believe, the first team to get to that 85% threshold. So they know something about what this can mean and, you know, obviously how you get there. Do you know if, obviously we we understand if someone has had the virus, you get the antibodies for at least a little while. How long, we don't know. But that doesn't count toward the 85% threshold, or does it? These guys who got the virus and now presumably have the antibodies.
2: I don't think so. I do. I'm pretty sure that anyone who gets COVID-19 should not, is not supposed to get the vaccine right away, that uh, they're supposed to wait a while. So that could, if they don't now count to the 85%, it may be a little while until they can count towards it. that could end up hurting the team in a way, I don't know the answer to that. We should have asked Dr. Fauci when we had him on the podcast. Get him back. And for those of you who didn't hear that episode, go back and find it. We had a very nice interview with noted Nationals fan, Dr. Anthony Fauci, on what was supposed to be opening day.
0: Yeah, very big Nationals fan, huge Rendon fan. As well. One more thing from the Nats on Monday. So in addition to reinstating the three players, the Nats also did some other things transaction wise. They optioned Luis Garcia and Yadiel Hernandez to the alternate site in Fredericksburg and the Nats designated catcher Jonathan Lucroy for assignment. I know you'd been wondering how long the Nats going to go with three catchers. Uh, The answer was not very long. Uh, I guess potentially Lucroy could be back with the team, but they're obviously not counting on that.
2: No, and they admitted it was a tough decision because the guy played really well for them, you know, unexpectedly so, and maybe had earned the chance to stick around. But with a full roster, there's just no real way to justify a third catcher. To me, the only way you can do it is if you lose a pitcher, if you're going with a shorter bullpen, and they're just not in a position to do that right now either. So the good news, because I know a lot of people have wondered about this, Lucroy is only a few days away from reaching 10 years of major league service time. And that's a huge number for players because it gets you the pension. It gets you all kinds of lifetime benefits that those who don't reach that mark get. And so it would be a pretty cruel move to dump a guy with only a few days to go. But here's what we were told. When you're designated for assignment, I'm not going to get into all the, the details of this, but it's essentially a state of limbo for a few days until you are ultimately released or traded or outrighted to the minors you get service time while you're in DFA limbo. And so I think reading between the lines, they're saying they believe he's going to get there no matter what happens. Now, um, beyond that, I think the guy played well enough to believe that another team's going to give him a shot now. So he may get his big league service time by actually playing for another team. If not, maybe he's willing to go report to Fredericksburg and ultimately to AAA in case the need arises along the way. And I kind of hope he does because do you know who the Nationals A manager is this year? It would be a guy named Matt LeCroy.
0: Oh, is that right? And so okay. we could
2: have the LeCroy, Lucroy tandem that we've all waited so long to see.
0: That would be something special right there. I like that. See, you're, you're thinking big picture. You're thinking marketing. You know, you're thinking how to build up the AAA team, especially now, you know, with a new affiliation there with Rochester. So you could have something special with that.
2: Could be LeCroy, Lucroy town this summer.
0: That'd be a beautiful thing. Well, we hope the Nationals have a winning streak the next time we talk on the Nats Chat Podcast. Game two at the Cardinals, Tuesday night, 745. Steven Strasburg versus Jack Flaherty. Of course, Strasburg was so good in his first start of this season. You hope it continues. Flaherty is good, we know, but the Nats got to him in that 2019 postseason, as everyone listening to this uh, certainly knows. Keep the feedback coming at Nats underscore chat on Twitter, and you can always email us as well, Nats chat Podcast. At gmail.com. And if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast, email the man behind all of this, Tim Showvers. Again, that email address, Nats Podcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.
1: Arnato in shallow at third. Here's a swing and a high drive to right field. Back on this one
0: is Edmund to the warning track, to the
1: wall, and it's gone. Andrew Stevenson drops one into the Cardinal bullpen for a pinch-hit home run, his first of the season. And the Nationals have the run back and lead it four to two over the
2: Cardinals. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines.